You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom. This is Standing in Two Worlds with Dr. Sam Juni. And I don't know if you would call this a miracle of modern technology or science, but Dr. Sam is not in Yerushalayim. He's not even in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. He's with me together on the back deck here on the back porch. It's uh, official Independence Day uh, for the United States. And I'm here with you, Dr. Sam. So are you soaking in America the way you want to? Happy fourth to all of us. <laughs> Most people, it's the fifth actually, but we'll call it the fourth. And, uh, and I know that uh, if you, if you, it's been, how long since, has it been since you've been in the U.S.? About a year and Two a years, half? unfortunately. Yeah. And uh, are you noticing any changes? I know we've talked about it. Of course, we hear about things all the time. Have you noticed anything? In the... Well, I, I noticed some changes, but since change is relative, I think the change is happening to me and not to the country. So uh-huh. I've yeah. changed. I knew that. Okay. <laughs> so I want to talk to you about something. I know you're giving us a little bit of uh, very of your precious time because I know that you have a lot of uh, people are pulling you in various various ways. Um, and uh, <clears throat> I was wondering if you would discuss something that I, 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 I was reading up on and listening to. Uh, people discuss it, uh, and it's 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 a sorry subject. It's 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 called um, Munchausen syndrome by proxy, and uh, it, there have been articles written about it. And it's unfortunate, I think, when you know about this syndrome, and you'll tell us a little bit more about it. That when people, even who come to you for uh, to your door, many people who are asking for stuffs and they have sick children and people that are ill. And um, once I read that article, I started saying, well, it's not that I'm suspicious, but for years and years, they've been having this sick child and they're collecting money for it. Is this something that's just a a, a great anomaly, Munchausen syndrome, or is it really really prevalent? And, and, And just explain what it is and how prevalent it is and what it stems from. Okay, so first of all, it is not that prevalent. I think it's um, kind of um, snazzy. It's, a, it's an odd kind of um, disease. Um, but no, it's not prevalent at all. But it's something that we always have to keep um, in the back of our minds as diagnosticians when people come in as, as caretakers of eventual, just like you have to keep the lingering out. And the lingering is a condition where people just... Um, present themselves as sick even though they really aren't or they're not so convinced they're sick so this is another step where people try to present their loved ones as being sicker than they are for the purposes of some kind of secondary gain um there's an old phenomenon that was around in the um, folklore of jewish um, gullus which are the gypsies who would kidnap Jewish children, and then cripple them so that they can make great sorry beggars for them. And um, when they didn't have Jewish children, the folklore says they would cripple their own children just to be able to to get their to be able to snore, to be able to to beg. And what's what that was straightforward, uh, shall we say, a callous way of a disrespect for um, human uh, comfort, or human life, or human, human intactness. Um, just as a way of getting things done. So that's that's the extreme way of looking at it. So you could look 
at Munchausen's um, uh, um, syndrome, not even as a disease, but just as an opportune way to cash in on benefits or whatever other, other kinds of positive dividends there are of having a sick family member. Um, that's, yeah, that's not usual. It's really just incredible cruelty. Yeah, that's not I usual. Mean, that's straight psychopathy. That's not usually the case in patients you find. That's, you know, I'm giving that as an extreme contrast to work off, you know, that kind of prototype. And that's not even a medical issue. That's like just somebody who literally goes around making himself sick for some reason. They are sick. So somebody who, ma who, who manages to get somebody else sick, there are problems on both sides. I, right. I want to rule that out. What we're talking about well, here... By, by proxy, in case people haven't picked that up, it meant is they get the attention. And in this sense, also, you say the financial benefits. And of course, they live while they're getting all the attention showered on them as the caregiver. Right. Meanwhile, their child is, 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 is yes. ill and has been yes. injured irrevo irrevocably in a way that they're... Right? Sometimes. So sometimes you, you're really talking about... It's really chronic because it will keep going because any kind of... Um, um, cure or um, amelioration that comes that's come up by the medical staff, the uh, perpetrator will basically um, counteract to make sure that the illness keeps going. So, okay, I want to throw in just a psychological feature over here. There are two really, but one is the main one, and that's over-identification, that somehow this um, uh, a perpetrator, this concerned relative, is acting something out for their own sake and using the child or the, the charge, the, the person that they're in care, taking care of as a way of satisfying their own needs for being sick or for being victimized. Uh, but for some reason, and usually it's because they're too cowardly, should we say, or they don't have the stamina to do to themselves, they choose the child or their victim as a way of becoming the means by which they are now a sorry case or someone who's... Um, um, there to be pitied, but it comes from over-identification. In other words, you can't really do this psychologically unless you feel one with the child to an unhealthy degree. In other words, everybody has some identification as being part of a group or being part of a family, but to feel that this is really you, that's an unhealthy aspect, even though it may be loaded in some of the classic literature that me and him are one and Jonas and David are one. <laughs> When the shama, it's not healthy from a psychiatric point. Especially as you say, a parent, you know, for a child, a parent to see his child as just a means um, to an end for themselves. Yeah, but we see, seeing it as a means to an end is too much. Putting it at the conscious level, we're talking at the semi or unconscious level. They somehow it's the same person, and somehow I'm a victim. So therefore, this person is a victim, and this person is being used to. I should be a victim. But there is underlying it all. There's a um, failed um, logic that somehow I am helping myself by doing this. So let's say the parent who deliberately disconnects the IV when the doctors go away and then the results show that the IV is not effective. What's going on there is something that's not totally altogether, if I need to say it, because this stuff starts ranging into the uh, form of functioning which starts violating reality testing. What's really going on is that the person kind of does it by mistake or doesn't do it by mistake or has a concern which they delude themselves to say, well, the medical people, they're giving them too much chemicals, so I'm going to make it less chemicals. And then, oops, oy vey, I made it too little, but maybe that's good too because too much is not good because then the child will not develop antibodies. They come up with a logic which is semi-coherent 
even to themselves. It's so not they, quite they lie to themselves. They lie right. to themselves. That's what I'm saying. It requires to, to be very close to um, problematical reality testing in order to pull this off, assuming you're not a psychopath, assuming you're not doing this willfully, saying, I don't care about the kid. I'm just interested in getting more medical benefits or getting on the list for donors so I'll get more food for Shabbos or whatever it is. Or, or my, my husband will put in me and will not divorce me or not have an affair. There's all kinds of bizarre bonus, but obviously what's going on here is that they kind of half realize, half don't realize what they're doing. And then when they come up with excuses, then they really convince themselves that they mean it all for the better and they're smarter. They know, and often they do know the disease very well because very few professionals know Munchausen's um, pretty figure it out, but there were these scandals so, that they have. So, a major so, uh, yeah. So in other words, they, the, whatever disease the child has indicating, has the the parent the proxy person um the person who's in charge becomes an expert in that disease yes they become, sometimes they, maybe they even go and read up on it and, and, and they and definitely do it. no no see because part of them the rational concerned parent part are really concerned about the child but then they kind of misdo it that's like someone who's so concerned about a child being hurt that they never let him out to socialize and never let him out to breathe so there's like but it's warped there's something wrong over there you have to have a pretty disordered personality in order to pull this off that's for sure and they they definitely you know just like you know not killing the goose that's laying the golden eggs for them the attention they're getting they want to keep the child sick and alive right they so 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 it's sort of like that balance and on the same side you're telling me that you would think most of them if you would ask them on some level of their mind would probably say i'm helping my child right they right. won't own up to the fact you that see but, but when you say sick and alive it's not as if that's their formula part of them wants to keep the child alive and well and then the crazy part of them wants to keep it sick and it's not synthesized it's not like i want to keep my child just well enough to live, but also sick enough in order for me to get this kind of crazy neurotic benefit. It's two things working at the same time that I you know because they have a disintegrated ego, they're able to do two things that are kind of oppositional to each other and then have a, a, um, a sloppy enough way of synthesizing it all to saying, well, overall, I'm helping and I really mean well. These people really don't see themselves as trying to hurt their child, if you can imagine that. It's hard because you have to split yourself apart and almost look at this person at two different times or from two different lenses and don't synthesize it too much because then you're doing much more than the person's ego can so, do. So I, I, when I've seen it, uh, you know, I think dramatized, and let me just say parenthetically, am I, am I right that the reason it's called Munchausen is because it's connected to the old, the famous Baron Munchausen, right? Yes, Who, I, be- I don't know enough about that, but oh, they don't include that in the courses. Okay. But yes, yes, sure. All right. So I, so I know a little bit about Munchausen. I know that Munchausen was, um, was the greatest tell, tall tale teller. That's what he was known as. Uh-huh. He was able to spin the stories that everyone thought was true because of how clear and how perfect the details were. And he was, and people believed it, but it, it sounded crazy. But he was—he was, he was the, the medical anomaly Madoff. <laughs> yes, I guess so. And so in that sense, I guess part of why you know it's sort of it's like a—it's it's a, it's a terrible compliment that we call it Munchausen because the person is able to pull off. The, the parent is able to pull off this incredible um, uh, sort of uh, lie and fiction that people can actually buy into. And I think that's probably why they call it this Munchausen uh-huh. syndrome. Um, 
sounds reasonable. I can't, I don't know, but it sounds reasonable. Yeah. So uh, have you ever been, uh, have you ever been called in on, on, on a case where you had to, because I would assume the doctors discover something strange here. Let's get the psychologist in. Have you ever been called in in that case? Okay, so I basically was not ever called in to consult about a Munchausen patient as such, but it's constantly an issue where we have to decide whether somebody is Munchausen's or not. So that's, it's always on the, um, on the agenda, or at least on the menu, even though it's very often ruled out. And of course, it's an easy way for doctors who can't diagnose to just relegate it there because then the, the whole syndrome doesn't have to so, make sense. But it's, 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 it's unusual. It's unusual. So, well, let me understand it. Sometimes the doctors are trying whatever they can and they are inexplicably, uh, what confronts them is the kid's not getting better. The child's right, getting better. Right, we right. try this, we try this. So it's so, easy enough to blame the victim and say, it's not my fault, it's the patient's fault. Just like you say, non-compliance. You know why he's not get, getting better? Because he's not taking better, not taking the medication. You know why she's not getting better? Because she's using drugs on the side. That's a good excuse. So here too, if we don't know what we're doing, we blame the patient. This is a nice way to blame the patient, just as malingering. Malingering basically means they're not really sick. They're just saying so. Get a hold of yourself and go get a job. So that's easy. Um, but very, very few people use but, but, Munchausen's as a, as a differential excuse. But, but it sounds like when uh, a team is confronted with uh, this issue that the child or the person isn't getting better, probably the, it's probably procedure to ask, is it possible there's Munchausen's going You're supposed on? to ask. I mean, not, not ask. every resident, you know, knows that, but sure, you have to ask that. And especially if some of the syndromes just don't make sense. Of what's wrong with the patient, yes. but but the, the the average resident or surgeon, whoever's involved in the in the patient's case, do they have the psychological know-how to no. see the signs for Munchausen? No, no, they don't. No, they don't. So what they have is the medical know-how to say this why isn't this working? This syndrome doesn't make sense, and often the reason is because there's another comorbid um, disease that they haven't diagnosed. That's the usual uh, explanation. Uh, uh, so, and that was this is. It's very difficult to come up with this diagnosis because they really have to know what you're doing. And also the, the Im implication that the caretaker can sense, why are you asking me these questions, is, is, is enough to make the caretaker extremely upset yes. where, where there's almost an implication, what's going on here and why is what's happening. If it's true, I guess I'm not being clear, but if it's true that that's procedure for the team to make sure the Munchausen's isn't happening, I'm sure that in many cases, the, the, the parent who is probably in most, like you say, Munchausen's are very rare, is going to be pretty insulted that they're even being questioned that way. Okay. And that, so, so that could build there, a lot there, of There are two reactions I have. First of all, most people are subtle enough, most practitioners are subtle enough, rather than to say, hey, is this something you're really doing? They don't do it that way. But second of all, if a parent or, or a caretaker is really concerned for the patient and they're asked these questions, they have to understand it's for the patient. Now it's leave your ego parked outside. We're trying to get the patient better. It's equivalent to when you're asked, are you doing drugs? Okay, are you suicidal? You say, what are you asking me these questions? I'm here for, these days you have to. You go for a sore throat. One of the questions, one of the issues is to give somebody a depression scale. What are you doing this for? The answer is, we're interested in you being healthy and we're ruling out all kinds of problems. So if you're truly interested in what's going on, 
leave your pride to the side and stick with it. It's, 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 it's sort of a little bit of a catch-22, I think. On one hand, you want to be tactful and not insult the caretaker. But if it really is Munchausen's, you can't let on that that's what you're trying to ferret out. Yes, yeah, yes. Okay, that's the issue. You're right. So basically, you don't have to be that tactful if you're straight. I mean, you ask someone, hey, do you have cancer? Do you have a problem with your bowel movement? What are you asking me that for? I'm sure, you know, you want to get better over here. We're going to take care of it. So, no, if I check, I check everything. And and the point is that, let's say, even with a regular person, I'll ask, you know, do you, um, are you in trouble with the law? Have you been imprisoned? Oh, what kind of question is that? I'll ask it even of a rabbi who has a big congregation saying, are you involved in extra marital affairs or not even marital affairs, all <laughs> kinds of perversions that may get you into trouble? And why do I ask these questions? Because I'm paid by the minute. So that's why I ask these questions. We got to get it done. So it's not the, um, it's, it shouldn't be seen as a problem. I understand. But th- this is such a, fa- I know it's, you say it's rare, but it's so fascinating, especially since if, if you do discover uh, that there is this Munchausen by proxy occurring. What do you do to that person? Do you put them in jail forever? Because I don't put them in jail, but I get the per- I mean, get law enforcement involved for sure. Uh, sure. Be- because this is, a, this is aggressive behavior can, towards another human being. Right. Can it be cured? Is it the type of thing that your type of therapy, not that you're going to do it, but can you uh, create a recipe for, for a cure for someone okay, who so, has so this? This is something that involves deep-seated um, character disorder to have that kind of it's basically the over identification which is so problematical and can that be cured I would say that I definitely if I had you had a company that was offering IPOs I would not be quick to buy on this you know can it be controlled usually if you have a combination of the law and other family members who are willing to step in and behavior procedures, you can kind of control it, but I would make sure that person is not the caretaker. Because it would seem the way you described it, this type of lie that they tell themselves, uh, and they really believe it, to prosecute someone would be very oh, difficult. sure. No, no, no. They would be- definitely get a good lawyer to get them off the hook by saying they're not playing with a full deck. Um, but the, the, the real thing is, I mean, the real principle that's underlying all of this, that if you do something that you know is totally off the off the wall. That kind of um, uh, style can be is susceptible to intervention. Saying, "Hey, you're going to get in trouble. Don't get involved with that." But if you do something that's egocentric, even in Munchausen's, it's like semi-egocentric, which means basically that they feel that they're not really wrong. They're doing the right thing. It's like any other character disorder. If somebody has a character disorder and they feel they have to uh, be very neat to the point that they can't even move, they justify it to themselves. If you justify it to yourself, I can't help somebody get over something that they think is the right thing to do. That doesn't work so well. I mean, there are people who claim to be specialists and working with character disorder, but uh, not, 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 my, not my cup of tea. I, I, I wouldn't put much... Um, uh, credence into any success rates that they have. So, I, I, you know, just, just to end here where we started, you know, I, I, you know, we open the door often here in, in the United States to people coming from Eretz Israel, and now that COVID is sort of in the in the rearview mirror, we hope. Uh, I, I, you know, we do get people who, and I, I try to bring the people into the house, um, and. Uh, they show me their papers, and I remember, hmm, you know, this is, you know, you've had this sick child, et cetera. I guess, obviously, it's not my space to, to question, 
Well, but, I would say mo- that but, a good number of the people who come have just fictitious um, dossiers to begin with. And I mean, I know some of them because some of them were actually my patients and didn't know that I was, didn't re- recognize okay, them from the emergency so now, room. Now we're really opening another kettle of fish. In other, yeah. words, in other words, the people who are uh, the same type of people who have the brains and, and, and weirdness to be able to pull off a, a Munchausen's issue, probably people like that could also fool uh, many uh, of these supposedly okay, but, but again, uh, please... I'm sorry, the Vade Hatzdoka, when they come with their stories about, sure, and I've got this child who's sick sure. with this, and another but some, but some of them, it's just totally fictitious. They don't even bother going. You know, they produce these things on, um, uh, on some kind of um, document stuff. No, no. But, but again, realize that the Munchausen people are really sick. There's something so wrong wait, with them. So first of all, These guys are just straight, straight crooks. I know him. They're here. just crooks. <laughs> yeah. So you, you believe that the, the fact that they made, they slept all the way here and they come with, with, with puppy dog eyes and they show, they show me the, the, the images and they, they talk about all their sick children. You're saying that uh, from your way of looking at things, you, you would, you would be very suspicious about yeah, that. No, yeah, I, I would say that a very high percentage of them are just the frauds. I mean, I've had some personal interactions <laughs> well, where I've gotten to see groups sometimes in, in, in like semi-clinical situations. And I realized the whole cadre, this is the one who has a yeshiva and a place in that doesn't exist. This one has a sick child. This one's marrying somebody off. And then they just switch switch the, uh, the uh, speeches they have. Yeah, I, I, I think, look, again, I would just say, if you want your stock to be efficient, give it to an organization that vets. Uh-huh. Don't, uh, whatever. It's a, somebody but, comes but, but, but like in, I said, it's a problem. I, I can imagine if I was the head of a Vadat Stoka yeah. and a person came to me and showed me the images of a child and said, well, we're working with this and I have seven, six ch- children and my, right, my sure. husband has this. It's very hard to, 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 like, to, be, to put on your, your investigative glasses yep. and yep. be so... Sure, sure, sure. Okay, I... Don't have an answer to that. This is outside, yeah. outside my uh, functioning expertise. Yes, there. yes. Well, again, we, it, it, it pays to be cautious. But as you say, that's, I think that's where, like you say, the Rabbanim and the Vadim have, have to do their research. But talk, and, to, and they have to hopefully they'll get honest answers when they do their investigations. And from people like you who say, look, this guy is a sicko. This guy is a person that we should be Or, should or be this guy aware. basically is co- collecting money to support his heroin addiction. Period. Wow. So it's not a good idea to give to them. So, I mean, I, I have patients who have come across. I'll tell you what I do, although I can't always give them uh, a, a big, a shayna matveya, like we say. A lot of times I'll bring the person into the house and try to give them something to drink, something to eat, because I am really sure. concerned. And I think through the conversation, I hope I have the heart, the sense to tell <laughs> whether the person is really, uh, you know, off uh, off the wall. Especially most of the guys who do this for a living are much better than you at this. Uh, so they're able to fool me as well. Sure. I don't know. You know, I always think that the language you, know, you can always make, make Ken Schmeck and a Talmud Chokham. You know what I'm saying? If, if, especially if he presents himself as a, as an emiss of Talmud Chokham. To me, I think truth truth will out, as I think Shakespeare said. And I think to me, the Emmas of Terry was out. So if I see the person is, is really holding and learning and really loves learning and, and enjoys what I'm saying and response, then it's, it's, it's impossible to think that he's think also a this terrible. Can't, ter- be, can't be psychiatrically disturbed. Okay, well, I'll introduce I, you to a couple. Okay, I, I, I hope I, <laughs> there might be people who are pointing to us or to me and saying, yeah, here's, yeah, right. here's someone. And, and there they are. And here they are. <laughs> Take care, buddy. We'll hopefully catch you again, Sam. I don't know if we're going to have the hundo of being able to sit with the birds and the dogs out here in the yard. 
But uh, you know what? It's just as good, I think. It's just as good. You know, I think it's just <laughs> good. I think that's a good simon. Take care, everybody. We'll see you next time. Okay. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. 